Uh, well, hi, everybody. Um, welcome to Critical Care Grand Rounds. Uh, we are very lucky to have um, someone who's become a, a close uh, friend and collaborator, uh, Dr. Casey Albin. Um, Dr. Albin did her neurology training at the Partners Neurology System, that what, what was known as the Partners Neurology System, now MGH Brigham. Um, she followed that up with a, a simulation fellowship, um, and through that fellowship, really uh, found a love for something that uh, we've really bonded over over the last several years. Um, and she then went on to a neurocritical care fellowship at Emory, where she remains uh, as a faculty member. And Casey has really been, in my mind, um, a real thought leader in neurocritical care education um, and using uh, mediums that other people had not previously explored, including Twitter. And you're going to hear from her today. Um, and, and she's also, I think, an incredibly humble person who is not going to take enough credit for kind of her vision here. Um, but I'm here to tell you she has over 12,000 followers um, oh on gosh. Twitter. And the last time I was in a major meeting with her, um, one of the uh, – a couple of the board members from the American Academy of Neurology walked by. And, you know, Casey, I think, was one or two years out of fellowship. And one of them said, hey, look, there's that Twitter – that Twitter neurologist, there she is. She's the one. She's the one who does those amazing tutorials I was telling you about. And I think for fellows who are interested in education or even are interested in, in any aspect where they want to build a brand for themselves, um, Casey is a, a real role model and someone that you can learn a lot from. And I, I wish I could hear the talk today, but I will watch it on the video. And I hope you all enjoy uh, learning from Dr. Alvin, um, not just how to educate across social media, um, but also to how to build your own personal brand uh, that will serve you well in promotion. So uh, with no further ado, uh, Dr. Alvin, it's all you. Wow, that is incredibly generous. I am, like, I'm blushing, but uh, thank you. Um, I want to also just um, give a dis disclaimer that this is going to be a little bit different than your typical run-of-the-mill um, sort of more um, – basic science or translational research or, you know, having lots of um, citations and coming together with all of this data and presenting it, you know, in a sort of um, thoughtful way. Um, this is a, a little bit more about how do you think about yourself and a little bit of how do you teach and how do you um, kind of apply these new digital strategies um, into into building yourself in some ways. Um, so it's a little bit different of a sort of professional development type grand rounds, and I hope that it will be um, engaging. I hope that it's, it's really targeted more to our like fellows and early faculty. Obviously, if you've made it to full professor, I think people know who you are. So, you know, this may not be as applicable to that, but I do think there are strategies that even if you are very well known in the field, that you can kind of use to kind of highlight some of the things that really matter to you. Um, this could not be a talk about sort of Twitter and social media if I did not give you a QR code to my Twitter. So there you go. It's there. Um, I will also say that I gave, I've given this or an iteration of this talk several times. And every time I change it a little bit, I try to tweak what's a little bit more relevant. I highlight things that I think that people like and take out some things that are maybe duplicate information. Um, so I will ask you just to kind of keep in mind, like, what could make this better? Um, and how are you utilizing this? And so I'll give you this at the beginning to think about that, and then I'll show you the QR at the end. Um, but I find if I just 
show the QR code at the end, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it was, it was good. So I hope this will, like, put in your mind to kind of think through how could this be better. So with that, if we were in person, I would ask you all to raise your hands. But since it's over virtual and since Poll Everywhere tends to let me down over and over again, I'm just going to ask each of you to think to yourself, does this matter to me? Professional development, continuing medical education, networking, reflection and mindfulness. And I would guess that all of you are thinking for most of these, if not all, yes, all of those things matter to me. So then I will also, and if you are so willing to put your little hand up in the, you know, have a little chat emoji in the Zoom box, I'd love to get a sense of how many people in the audience are professionally using, not like to share pictures of your kids or whatever, but professionally using Twitter. Show of hands, couple. Facebook, TikTok, nope, Instagram, LinkedIn, a couple, all right. So maybe a couple people, Jordan, it's also kind of hard in the middle to like figure out how to use the emoji thing on the Zoom, so I get it. Um, for those of you on Twitter, I'd like you now to kind of think of, you know, how to put your hands up. Are you there to, I never post, I'm just there to read, so you're kind of a creeper. Are you there to retweet and like? Are you there to quote retweet or comment? There, AKA a troll, just kidding. I'm sure that you're not a troll. Um, or post original content. And I think many of us kind of like, we're there. I was certainly like exposed to Twitter and like was uh, kind of like seen it and not engaged with it. Um, so there's certainly different levels of involvement. And I do think you kind of have to get to sort of the, the two latter ones, the quote retweeting and comment and posting original content to actually kind of help this develop sort of professional development skills. So the objective of my talk is actually pretty clear. It's pretty easy. So to demonstrate to you why social media matters for career and professional development. Simple, right? So <laughs> I love this picture. Um, I am not, not surprisingly found this on social media. Me trying to excel in my career and maintain a social life and drink enough water and exercise and talk everyone back and thrive and be happy. And it's the picture of Corella DeVille looking extremely stressed out and not happy. And also do social media. So how many of us, like, I feel like in academic medicine, there is just like so many projects and so little and finite time. And to add one more thing just feels like a burden. And so I want to emphasize to you that I really feel like if this is something that's going to be a burden to you, please don't do it. Like, this should be fun. This should be something that is um, bringing you some little bit of joy, uh, that it actually fills your bucket and not as, like, just another commitment that you feel like you have to make. For those of you who are in the audience thinking, like, and isn't this social media, like, Black Mirror, companies are selling my data, we're all becoming addicted to our phones, we're spending less time in front of, like, actual humans, we are just propagating uh, conspiracy theories. Like, yeah, like, I get that. There are some there are some downsides to social media. But I would also emphasize that with specific goals and with a thoughtful plan about how to use social media for professional career-centric um, goals, that this can be a really incredible way to network worldwide. And so in my mind, the, the beauty of social media is that it is a global community and it is an incredibly wide-reaching audience. 
So to kind of give you an example of this, um, I want to say for sure that I am by no means not even close to being as big as many, 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 many other people in critical care on Twitter, like not even a little bit. Um, but I will just highlight, like, I haven't been doing it that long, and I, I'm i just, um, like, stunned and astonished at the reach that some of these, like, short tutorials can have. This is one that I posted uh, probably not that long ago, maybe, I don't know, sometime last spring, maybe early in the summer, about the ICH score, which is something that, as a neurointensivist, I feel quite strongly is, like, depriving our patients from getting life-saving intervention that they need. Um, and like the number of people who just participated in the polls on Twitter, like almost 5,000 people, and the number of times that was shared and expanded with like over 300,000 impressions, like which is just how many times it shows up on someone's like um, scroll for their Twitter feed. Um, that is just orders of magnitude, like different than any lecture that I will ever give in my career. Like, to reach that amount of people about some topic that really, really matters to me and maybe, just maybe, move the needle a little bit in people's practices about something that I think often um, deprives our patients of life-saving interventions, like, that to me is really, really incredible. And I think a lot of that has to do with how social media, um, there's a second generation of social media um, applications work. So we all started, you know, way back when in Facebook, and then there was LinkedIn, and then there was Instagram, and all of these were sort of, like, curtailing, like, who do you know in real life? And, like, how many people do you know? How many friends do you have? And, like, of those friends, maybe some of them shared your interests, but, like, most of them, like, went to, like, a college class with you or, like, did something else or, like, you knew them in some way, but you might not share a lot with them. Versus, I think, Twitter. And I'm told TikTok, although I, I will be honest, I do not have a TikTok, is not about who you know, but about who shares your interests. And I think that is the cornerstone for actually developing sort of a social media brand is knowing kind of what your interests are, because that's going to generate who are the people that you interact with. Now, I want to say that I, um, I gave this... Oops, I um, gave this talk, and Zach London, who is a program director at Michigan and just a really funny guy, said that he wanted to amend the uh, the pie charts a little bit to make them better reflect his reality. So instead of, you know, having a little pie chart with Facebook with people you know and the smaller pie being the people who share your interest, that he really liked it better if it was, a, you know, on Twitter there are people who share your interest. It's more than half. There are a sliver of people that you know, and then there are bots, the NSA, people you have never met and do not share your interests, but claim they would like to know you better. I hear it. That's true. And it made me laugh. Um, so, okay. So the NSA and, and bots and people who claim to want to know you better may be following along, but does this really help my career? And I think of all things in, like, in academic medicine that we have to think about, is this something that's going to be a time suck or is this something that could actually be productive to my goals within academic medicine, academic medicine. So this is one of like, you know, two citations that I'll have in the whole presentation, which is just to say that social media or hashtag SOMI and hashtag FOMED or FOMED is becoming more and more incorporated into academic promotion. And there is, there is certainly ways that you can harness this um, 
just the actual stuff that you are doing within Twitter or social media and prove more higher valuability. And I'll talk a little bit at the end, but this is something that people are looking into because especially for educators, this is a way to really demonstrate an education portfolio. And so I think that this is becoming something that is more respected and regarded. Um, you have to do it with a little bit of finesse. Um, but the second, like the flip side of this is that while what you do within social media actually might count, it's actually the visibility and the networking and the opportunities for participating in things that are, you know, deemed, you know, um, sanctioned by the academic community or like well known for, you know, helping write papers or um, giving talks at national lectures, that the visibility that being active on social media brings helps to promote. So again, finding data on that, like how much does being visible on social network, uh, social media help network and then create opportunities, that's really, really hard data to capture. Um, but it, anecdotally, and I, I interact now with a lot of people who have done this, like it anecdotally really does. Um, because this is your way to show what you care about. And to do that, you sort of need a brand. You actually need to know what it is that you care about. Um, so, you know, it used to be that who you were was tied so closely to where you worked and the academic affiliations that you had. But what has changed, and I think what is so valuable about social media, is it is a platform to establish a personal philosophy, a personal um brand a personal, like, this is what I care about, and this is what I'm interested in, this is what I'm teaching, this is what I'm researching, um, to really highlight it, who you are. But this takes a little bit of finesse. So when I tell you I think you should think about a brand, I think, everyone take a minute, you might be thinking, like, oh, like, sleek, really cool product design, or functional usability. Or you might be thinking the ba 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 ba, or you know someone's stealing your data, or you know there's those cute little polar bears that you know Coca-Cola loves so much. Amazon's gonna bring me my two-day package. I'm just gonna be a sweaty athlete that's getting things done. Like when you think of a brand, you are thinking about these visuals and this um, consistency about what you know of a product. On social media, that brand is you. And so to kind of bring this back a little bit, I like to tell people kind of like, how did I end up here? And like, how did Twitter become like something that I do quite a lot? Um, and it's, it's a sort of like making lemons from lemonade situation. So I love teaching. Um, I had always uh, envisioned myself a clinician educator. I had been working on a guidebook about neurologic emergencies for residents. Um, so I had a lot of educational content that I had put together. And then I took my first faculty position, and I love it very much. Uh, but at the time when I joined, we did not interact with any residents. So, you know, I had these um, great ambitions to do a lot of teaching with residents, and then suddenly there were no residents for me to teach. Um, about that time, one of our fellows came and, you know, was giving a sort of amazing pitch to all of our faculty, like, you know, you guys could join Twitter. And I, like, maybe some of you are doing was like, mm, yeah, I like, yeah, I don't think so. Like, I have other things to do. And also Twitter is weird. Like, I don't think I want to be involved in that. Um, and thank, thankfully, Eric was like, no, 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 no. You've got, like, a lot of content. Like, you could teach on this. And, like, this would be a great thing for you. And 
you know, a couple months later, the COVID pandemic started. And so none of us were teaching in person. Like, even if you wanted to have teaching in person, you could not. Um, and that was sort of the catalyst that brought me to Twitter was like, well, I have this, I have sort of more free time than I had anticipated having. And like, maybe this would be a cool thing. Um, and I tell you this because I think it's important, A, that you know that I too was very skeptic of this whole sort of social media outlet. And B, because, um, you know, I think that it all boils down to having a, a passion for what you're doing and why you're there. Um, all of you have a passion. There are like 20 million people on Twitter. And so even if only 0.1% of those users share your passion, that's still 20,000 people. So whatever it is that really like excites you in the morning, whether that's, you know, education for me or society involvement, research, patient advocacy, um, or stories and humanism, there are, I'm sure, many, many, many other people who share that passion. And I think one of the powerful thing is that just as every sort of business needs sort of uh, a consumer, social media is about sharing that passion and reaching other people who also really jive and um, and get excited about the same thing. And that's really your your audience. And so that could be, and I think that it's important to think through as you're starting to think about, well, what, what matters to me and who can I connect with, um, that that could be patients, that could be medical students, it could be graduate trainees, research colleagues, colleagues, societies, journals, or even the lay population. And knowing a little bit about what your passion is and who you think you can also reach with that passion and share that passion with helps you kind of do what I call as matching the passion and the target audience. So pretty simple. Um, when I'm in person, I like to give out a little like worksheet about this um, that I think helps helps all of us, whether or not you want to join Twitter or any social media, or just actually want to have like a little bit of like 10 minutes to think about like, what really am I passionate about? I would highly suggest, you know, take a little QR of the, the um, or take a little picture of the QR code and bring it up. And I think take 10 minutes to think through about like, what, what is it that really matters to me? Um, so you have to be with that passion. I think it, it goes without saying that you have to be consistent about what it is you care about so that you are reaching those people that also share that consistent passion. It is a little bit jarring if you're like, well, I care about neurocritical care emergencies, but I also really care about, you know, um, Tory Burke shoes. And I'm going to just tweet between those because the people who care about those two things, like maybe there is a niche for critical care intensivists who like Tory Burke shoes. Um, but it's probably a very small niche of things that are going to share like those two exact passions. And it is confusing for all the people who like neurocritical care if you are then tweeting about Tory Burch shoes. And it is confusing for the Tory Burch shoe lover if you are tweeting about neurocritical care. So you have to like have some consistency about what you care about, even if you care about many, many things, like keep it to kind of one or ones that are adjacent to each other. Um, to do all of this and to do all of this well actually takes a little bit of style. And so when I was initially preparing for this talk, I actually read a lot of the business literature in which there is a, like whole courses of marketing de dedicated to understanding brand personality, right? Those, those five, like the main five brand personalities are competent, sincere, 
sophisticated, excited, and adventurous. And if you're sitting there thinking, hmm, I'm not so sure about that, I'm just going to throw up some brands. And I think that we could all agree that Disney kind of does have a, like, a little bit of sincerity. Like Gucci is very sophisticated. Um, you know, something like Timberland markets itself as an adventurous brand. Like there absolutely are brand personalities. But how does that apply to you as a critical care physician? Well, I think you all are competent. I'm pretty sure that you have made it thus far in your career and you are a competent person. And so therefore, I think the umbrella of all, all of these falls under competent. But within that, I do think that there are certain personalities, even within the Twitter world um, of, of humans. Um, so I think that we can apply them. And like a good business school talk, I'm also going to do some little case studies about how this actually plays out online. So excited, sophisticated, adventurous, sincere. Um, think of that as the tone and what's going to resonate with you and your audience. So, you know, just as Gucci doesn't work as like a rugged brand and like Red Bull is not sincere, um, each brand has to have a personality that is like, you know, authentic to who you are. Um, I think that this is, you know, if you are not really a, you know, you don't tend to like be a very excited person in general, you're sort of like a calm, cool, and collected person, it's not going to really work if you're trying to be like this excited person over social media. Like you have to be authentic to yourself. But I do think that there are certain tones that connect with certain audiences. So when I think about excited personalities, what I'm really thinking of are, um, are sort of tones and styles that on social media sort of reach either a teaching oriented, so younger, you know, either medical students or graduate trainees, the lay people, they can be colleague or training facing, but I think this is more like we are trying to reach and excite people about our specialty that are in the younger generations or create excitement within the lay population. Sophisticated, like we all can agree there is nothing more sophisticated in academic medicine than research. These tend to be like sort of research-driven accounts. These are people who are doing serious research and are looking to use social media to network and collaborate with other people who are doing that similar research. Adventurous to me is really interesting. I think of these as people who are kind of pushing the field forward in terms of either medical humanities, like thinking a little bit more deeply about um, the societal interaction of medicine, unique perspectives. They can be colleague or training faces. And then sincere tends to be either medical humanity focused, service or society oriented, patient or colleague facing. Um, so how do you do this? Um, I think the good news is that all social media platforms, and I'm going to, again, focus on Twitter here because I do think that that is the one, I mean, there's data to support that this is the one being used by most medical, like medical professionals. Um, that Twitter allows customization of your platform so that you can build sort of this recognizable, relatable, and consistent brand of who you are and what your interests are. Um, so, oh, oh, hello, only my picture. Oh, there, there they are, the other pictures. So to do this, um, I thought we would use a little bit of a case study. And so because I am first and foremost a neurologist at heart, um, and because I most uh, quickly interact with neurologists, and of course I wanted to ask permission to share their their profiles and um, kind of walk you through what they're doing, these are all neurologists. But I think uh, two of us are neurocritical care. There are many, many, many examples of this in critical care at large. Um, so hopefully this will just be kind of an example of how you're using different features of even just the profile to kind of let the world know what it is that you care about and what you are hoping to accomplish 
by being on sort of this networking platform. All right, so I will use myself as an excited uh, teaching focused sort of uh, platform. And Ashu Jadhav is the, um, the editor-in-chief of the Stroke Vascular and Interventional Neurology Journal. Um, he is a great, fantastic researcher, has built a very like large Twitter following by being someone who is consistently um, tweeting out sort of the latest and most interesting, and sometimes not from the biggest journals, but like very interesting work in the space of uh, vascular research. Um, Cedric Pimentel is one of my colleagues at Emory. I think he does a really unique thing about looking at neurology through um, historical artwork and kind of drawing some comparisons between, um, you know, uh, mostly modern art and neurologic diagnoses. Really different. There's not a whole lot of that elsewhere being done. And then I'm sure many of you know Neha because I feel like Neha is involved in so many different things um, and who is really just um, one of the most sincere people that I know in life, but also just does a lot of reflective tweeting about like what it means to be a physician. Um, and is also involved in quite a, quite a few societies. Um, so brand strategy. So you on Twitter and also for all the other social media pages, but we'll, we'll stick to this, have the opportunity to kind of customize your page in three different ways with your bio, with your pinched tweet and with your banner. And none of these is more important than the bio, which is, I think, your mission statement. So again, drawing some parallels from the business literature, every firm needs a mission statement, you need a mission statement. This is really to tell the world in like a few number of characters what it is that you actually care about. Um, and no one, I think, has done a more thoughtful job of reflecting that than Dr. Kimberly Manning, who is an uh, internist at Grady. Um, and who is a prolific writer and one of the largest social media presence. Um, and because she is affiliated with Emory, I was able to go to one of her talks about her use of social media. And she talked a lot about how I, I tweet what breaks my heart and that all of her Twitter is motivated by things, the injustices that she sees, the feeling of imposter syndrome, this, you know, um, looking at race and medicine and intersections between um, care that was delivered um, all the things that are, she is really, really passionate about. And I don't think you need to be at the point of it breaking your heart to feel passionate about things, but I think it does help to think through a little bit about what it is you care about. And so for myself, that is neurologic emergencies. I certainly care about imposter syndrome. I'm very passionate about women in neuro and neurocritical care. I love a good neurologic image, innovations in medical education, including simulation and tweet work. And so I think almost Everything that I tweet falls in one of those baskets, and they are all very related. There is no Tory Burch shoes, despite the fact that I really do love Tory Burch shoes. So again, this is a little bit about knowing what your passions are, and like also like reining it in so that all of those passions passions are synergistic. Um. Again, this is like this is what makes you who you are and what you care about. All right, so. You get to put that in the world as your mission statement, uh, and it is called a bio. And so this should tell a little bit about who you are, but it also should give whoever is not, like coming over to your page like a sense of like what it is that you're doing and care about. For me, that is being very deliberate and saying I am passionate about a foam neurocritical care and acute neurology. Ashu lists very, you know, his, next to his title, he has editor in chief of Spin. 
Cedric is looking at Kahalista poems and coffee, you know, things that totally, you know, a relation with meds, like with neurology, but there's going to be a little bit of medical humanities tossed in with that too. And then I love Nehaz because I think it is so expressive of who she is as a person. I love my family, my job, being positive and thankful that you can tell just by reading bios what it is that these people are going to tweet about, what they care about, what they're passionate about. And that gives like a strong first impression of who this person is. It is also important to know if you're not into the nuts and bolts of Twitter, that when you follow someone else, your little bio shows up as like, oh, this person's following me now. And so it would be really nice if you're going to follow people for them to know a little bit about who you are. And if it connects with what, you know, what they find is important, they might like navigate over to your your page and say, oh, this is great content. This is something I'm really interested in. I really want to like learn more about what this person's doing. Um, so I think that this, of all the things that we'll talk about, this is the, the time to sit down and think about like what it is that I am passionate about and why am I even here at all? All right. So that's a little bit about crafting your mission statement. Um, you also have a, your personality, your brand should be reflected in how you tweet, right? Um, if you are a sophisticated person, it should be very sophisticated. And, and if you're like myself and not so sophisticated and a little bit joking about how maybe not sophisticated you are, you know, with a little giffy cat trying to type in where the internal carotid actually becomes intracranial, um, you know, like express who you are in how you are delivering those tweets. And I really, really want to emphasize that regardless of what you're doing, this should be fun and like in some ways lighthearted. Um, I think the beauty of Twitter and like social media in general is that it's a little bit silly. And I think for me, that's one of the reasons that I, I keep coming back to it is because, you know, maybe it is not the best use of my time to think about emojis to express like someone who is admitted with a uh, <laughs> a subarachnoid hemorrhage that then needs to be pipelined that's complicated by a rebleed requiring a craniotomy uh then have some eegs and maybe some ventriculitis like was it the best use of my time to think about emojis for this like no probably not but did it give me a little bit of a smile that day and did it then connect me with um shadi yagi who's a phenomenal researcher at brown and does a lot of like um you know stroke research sure it did and you know what? Shadi has become one of my good friends, a collaborator. Like this, this is silly and maybe it is not the best use of your time. But I would argue that if it fills up your bucket enough to like be worth your time, there are really intangible benefits to making connections through this way. And so I like share this example because this is a, a clear example for me about how this went beyond just like being kind of silly on Twitter to an actual research collaboration. Um, Sincere is, again, thinking a little bit about humanities and medicine. I love this tweet from Neha. This is her pinned tweet. You know, all the things that we don't know and the things that we don't even know we don't know. And then changing to Cedric and this sort of expression and this, um, you know, this really unique perspective about the um, intersection of modern art and does this person have a carotid cavern of fistula? You know, looking for like neurologic diagnosis in modern art. That's just something neat and unusual. And then thinking about research, right? So many, many, many people are on Twitter just to share research. And that is totally wonderful and great. And I think it's very, very important that when you use it for research, you think about are you a commenter or are you a curator? And so, um, in talking to Ashu about this, this talk, you know, he's, 
he said, I made a really deliberate decision that I was never going to write my opinion about the paper. I used this as a way to keep track of the things that I read and thought that I found interesting, but I specifically do not comment on them because it's not about my opinion. It's about that this is just a list of things that I thought were in some way interesting. Um, and he's very good at picking things that are, that are interesting and many, many people like to follow along with this. Um, but I do think it's important to kind of determine upfront, am I someone who wants to build a brand about commentating on literature that's being released, particularly in my field that I have some, you know, subject knowledge on, or am I just kind of curating what is kind of neat or interesting? Which brings us to the pinned tweet. Um, you have the option on Twitter to pin something to your profile that is most important to you. And this is like a little deeper dive into like, hey, who, here's who I am. I have a collection of all the tutorials that I've written pinned so that they are just always there. So if someone navigates over and sees, they say, oh, like, what is this? Let me read some of these tutorials. Um, but they can be, you know, this is, um, Ashu has the, uh, the link to the latest issue of Stroke, Bachelor in Inter Interventional Neurology. Cedric has a link to a poem that he himself wrote. Um, Neha has like just a reflection on how medicine is a calling and a mission. And so again, this can be as fancy or as just simple as you want. You do not have to have one of these, but again, I do think it helps to kind of emphasize why it is that you are on this platform. And then finally, the kind of the unsung hero of all of this, um, you have a chance in your profile to have a banner. Most people I feel like kind of use this as a pretty picture. That's fine. But I do think you have an opportunity to put up something that is um, a little bit more relevant to, to what you're doing. And um, for me, that was the book that kind of launched all the content that I mostly tweet about. But you could use, you know, this is Kahal looking under the microscope. This is Neha and her team. This is actually um, a picture that Ashu takes on his walk when he's like sort of reflecting on, you know, next projects and things and getting a sort of a, a distance from, you know, his computer near nearby where he is. So each of these have a meaning for those patients, uh, for those, um, for the, the, you know, the primary person using them. And again, I think it's kind of an unsung hero, but it is an opportunity. And together, these elements should form a cohesive message. You should be able to come over to my profile and understand, like, what it is that I care about. And so there are some, the case studies for that. I think all of them would give you a, an example of, like, who this, this person is, what it is they care about. You have now created a profile. You have thought about what it is you're passionate about. You have considered who you are trying to reach. Um, then this is really about the networking potential of these social media platforms. It is about the fact that there are people all over the world who I am certain share that passion and who are, you know, waiting to connect with you. And that is the beauty of Twitter. And I think the, the important reminder I'll leave you with about this part is that to be successful, continue to be loyal to what your brand is. So um, Andreas is a phenomenal researcher. He does a lot of cerebral amyloid angiopathy research. Um, and all that he, almost all that he tweets is just related to intracerebral hemorrhage, to um, micro and macrovasculopathies, um, his pendulum. Profile, as you can see, is a picture of the brain with an intracerebral hemorrhage, like consistently doing this type of work and in a really cool and engaging way. And again, he is someone who I think from a research perspective has really leveraged um, social media to come up with collaborators and really just 
um, racism visibility as someone who's doing phenomenal work in this field. Whereas Leia is a um, neuroradiologist at Barrow Neurology who does phenomenal graphic, um, graphically designed, beautiful neuroradiology tutorials that look at, you know, teaching kind of interesting uh, parts of neuroradiology in a way that is so um, simplified and clear and straightforward with beautiful artwork. And like she shows up to do it again and again, and that is what people will know her for now. And again, back to Shadi, I think that to emphasize one more time, like this should be a little bit lighthearted. Uh, I think this is an, a great example of using sort of like a pop culture reference to something like the AirPod sign to also then provide teaching about, you know, what happens when someone has a medial medulla stroke. So again, like a little bit of pop culture, a little bit of like fun, although strokes are not fun for anybody, um, to then actually provide some teaching um, and engagement. Um, so I'm going to pause there and ask any questions, any comments, and of course we'll we'll take some time at the end, and hopefully we'll have at least five minutes for discussion. Anything burning questions right now? All right. So for both the medical educators and the researchers, I think giving like five little tips that I have I have learned over the course of writing many many tutorials might be helpful. So first of all. For those of you who are not familiar, what is a tutorial? Well, simply said, it is a thread, meaning that it is tweets that connect one after another that are part of a series that can be expanded on by the, by the reader that tends to explain either one topic or investigate something or has the, um, the goal of education about some topic. So it's a tutorial that's in tweet form. Um, Dr. Aaron Berkowitz and I wrote sort of like a how-to nitty-gritty about how to do this, and um, that is the QR code if you are interested and want to learn more. There are some graphics about, like, some of the tips to, like, actually, like, the practicalities of how to load this into Twitter, because it is not actually as straightforward as you might think. The other thing that I really want to uh, emphasize is that tutorials are not just about, like, teaching as a medical ed educator. That's really great and it's a wonderful way if you are a med ed clinician to share your work um, and to sort of create a teaching portfolio. But if you are a researcher, this is an awesome way to hype people up about your research and to build collaboration. And so this is one from David Fisher, who is uh, another neurologist, uh, another neurocritical care doctor, who is really interested in coma and coma recovery, um, who like wrote this really fun and interesting uh, tutorial about the research that he had done kind of before starting neurology, neurology residency and how that had gotten him interested in the brain. So it teaches about coma, it teaches about coma localization, some of their research, but like it was just engaging and fun to read. And I think that that actually helped him create a lot of collaborators and a lot of interest in sort of the research that he was interested in. So again, please don't dismiss this if you're not uh, like a, a straight clinician educator. If you are looking to get further engagement in your research or just excite the general population about it, this is the way to do that. Um, all right, so five tips. The first and the last tweet are your impact. You must measure engagement. This gets to the academic promotion stuff. Have learning objectives. Make this a really good typical um, lecture. Make your teaching count twice and do not draft it in Twitter because it will get deleted and you will be very, very frustrated. All right, so step one. 
the first and the last tweet are what's going to usually show up on someone's feed. Therefore, they should be the best one. So if nothing else, take the time to make tweets that it, the, the very first one and the last one or two uh, are, are good. So um, that usually means either including a good graphic, having a lot of space, being a little bit silly. You've got to have a hook. Otherwise, people are going to scroll through this, and they're going to go about their day, and they're going to miss all the good work that you put into this. So take some time to make the, good, the first tweet in some way engaging. That could be a GIF. It could be a graphic. It could be, I think this was like sort of like a, what's happening next? I've written poems before. Like, you know, be creative. Um, and then obviously, it's great in the last tweet, at last two tweets to have like a summary of what it is that you talked or talk, talked about. If you are doing this with the goal of showing someone at some point through your academic promotion, you know, um, time, it is really important to measure your engagement and the impact of these. Um, I think one of the best ways to do that is with a poll to put something in there about like, you know, make the second tweet something that people answer. So then you can kind of put in your CV, you know, nearly 5,000 people took the poll. You know, we're all about statistics. This is no different. This is just a little, like, fun factoid. I think that you should approach these as any other lecture. They are not that much space, and so it is helpful to the reader to give them the learning objectives up front. So either in the second or the third tweet, I typically try to say, like, here's what I'm going to teach you, or here's what I'm going to tell you about, or here are the questions I'm going to raise, um, so that, you know, people can then decide, like, I'm totally involved in this. This is great. I love this. Or like, oh, like this isn't really for me and that's fine. Um, these can take quite a bit of time to write. And so the, the thing that I would emphasize for all of us who have busy lives and need to be very efficient is make it count twice. Like it's not probably worth it to put together a tutorial about something that you've never had to teach someone before or research that you yourself are not doing. Like, this should be something that you have already thought about or you are teaching or that you are actively involved in the research of. If you have to start from scratch, it's going to take a really long time. Uh, this is just an example. I was putting together some uh, diagrams about eye movements, which I find wildly confusing despite the fact that I'm a neurologist. And so since I had taken all this time to do that for, you know, I think this is for medical uh, students and for the um, survival guidebook, I was like, great, I am going to share this with the world, too, since I have already just taken the time to do this. So be smart about it. Please don't start from scratch because that just, that's not good for anybody. Um, and then finally, include hashtags and app signs. This was really, really hard for me at first because many, many people, when they write tutorials, they CC or include the, like the at sign and the, the person's name that they want to kind of also see the tutorial or the tweet. This like CCs you on what someone has done on Twitter. And so um, for better or worse, you will then get notified every time someone interacts with that tweet. I really did not like this um, because I feel like to get traction, you really do need to do this, but it really felt like kind of icky self-promotion. And I saw this quote and I just really felt like this was, this was it. There is a difference between promoting yourself and promoting your work. Promoting yourself is flaunting what you achieve in an effort to get attention. I'm amazing. Promoting your work is sharing what you create and hope that it makes a contribution. I hope this adds value. 
And I think this is true for Twitter as well. Like it is great for you as a person to develop a brand. But when you are sharing something, the goal should be not self-promotion for you, but to hopefully add to the field, whether that's adding your research, adding teaching, adding collaboration, this should add value. And so I think if you're thinking about it in that way, like when you are seeking someone, is this adding value to them, to, to our network, to our community, then it makes sense. And so the way you really leverage that is that you have to think about, is my tweet within that person's sphere of influence? Um, I will tell you that I interact with a bunch of different communities on Twitter, within the neurology world, within neuroeducation, within neurocritical care, within neuroimaging, within vascular neurology, within critical care. There are a bunch of different sort of subgroups that I'm lucky to network with, um, and they definitely do not share the same interest all the time. Certainly, sometimes there are interests that fall into more, more than one basket. But if I'm tweeting something like really in the weeds about neurology, like seeing a bunch of like purely critical care docs is probably not like going to jive so much with their interest. Or going really deep into sort of the neuroeducation community may not be so much of an interest for this like vascular stroke neurology community. And so I think a lot of this is trying to be smart about using your at uh, and like sort of CCs to people who will care about the same topic. Um, the way that I do this practically is I have a list on my phone of like, you know, certain people that I think are engaged with those different baskets. And so when I'm thinking about like, oh, this is something I want to share, like whose interest does this fall into? I have like a practical list. Um, so this is just practical tip, like know, know your audience and know what's going to help kind of fill up their interest as well. The final part is like, well, what really counts as success here? Is it the retweet? Is it followers? Is it impressions? Is it shares? Like, there are so many metrics that you can get from Twitter. Um, Twitter has a very impressive analytic platform. Um, but I would argue that probably not any of those things. It's like you've connected with a community, small or big, that shares your interest. And if you have developed a network within that community and you have a small niche research interest, but you know now those people within that community, it's probably all you needed to do. So I don't think that this is about like, how many followers can I have? It's about, can I just show people who might share the same interest that I too have their interest? Because that can be very, very powerful in developing collaborators. Tweet what you love. Like this really, really, really should not be something that is like a task that you do not enjoy. Um, this should be about something that you're passionate about, that you're engaged with, that's not doubling or tripling your work, that is just something that you're already doing. It shouldn't be a chore. You cannot give a, a talk on social media without saying that, yes, there are absolutely downsides of this. And you, there are, there is a potential to get into trouble. I am a very much pro-social media person. I'm not going to spend a ton of time telling you about all the ways that you could, like, screw up on this. I think that the Mayo Clinic has a really, really wonderful social media policy, which is do not lie, don't cry, don't cheat, can't delete, don't steal, don't reveal. Those are really good words to live by. Um, and I think that applies to social media. A lot of the questions that I get asked when I like talk about this stuff is like, well, how do you know when you can share something about a patient versus when you can't? Um, my advice would be to always, always like err on the side of caution. Make sure that things are de-identified. I think this, the community has decided in general that sharing scans is fine because um, they are, you know, make sure that they're, they're de-identified. 
if you are sharing any patient details, um, I think it is really best to err on the side of caution and to talk to the patient and get consent. Um, when I started doing this, I, you know, I just, you know, I would make sure that people were well out of the hospital. I was never tweeting about people who were like actively in our unit or sharing cases about someone that we were treating at that moment. Um, but I didn't think as deeply about like, ooh, like, would they be okay with this? Um, since then, I have tried to be, be a lot more dedicated about like, if I think I see an interesting case, um, that maybe, you know, a couple of months later, once they have left the hospital would be a good teaching case to talk to the family or the patient themselves if they're with it enough to answer. Could I share that case? You know, would that be okay? I'm not going to share patient details. I'm going to change from, you know, whether you're he or I usually say just patient instead of a he or her. Um, we will de-identify it, but would it be okay if we shared some of the learning points? I have not yet had anyone tell me that they, they are uncomfortable with sharing the learning points. Um, some patients, like when I've asked them, they're like, oh my gosh, yes, can you take a picture of me? I'm like, sure, like, I'm happy to, to share you and your picture. Um, but so I've, I've honestly been surprised about like that people like are really enthusiastic about sharing their case. Um, but you know, there may be circumstances where people say like, I don't want my, my case shared on Twitter, even if it is de-identified and that's fine. Um, so with that, I think we have about like three minutes for questions. I will leave you the QR code. So if there are things that you're like, I wish I could have heard more about, or this was, I, I needed more like data about like what is Twitter, like leave that please so that I know. Um, and a special thanks obviously to Neha and Ashley and Cedric for agreeing to be our, our brand case studies. Um, so with that, thank you again guys so, so, so very much for having me. This is really quite an honor.